Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. It's episode 152 of the main show. And Nolan, pre-code March, it's your episode of it. Yay! Are you excited for pre-code movies like I am? You're going to have to tell me, you're going to have to walk me through a bit what pre-code means. Does it mean it's filmed differently or like it's about a certain topic or is it just a time period? Is it like a silent movie kind of thing? I want to understand it. I want to love it as much as you do. Okay, okay. Here we, well, here we go then. Let's start off this episode with another um, little description of what pre-code is because it is a... It's an interesting time in movie history. It is generally considered to be the years of 1930 to 1934, or at least halfway into 1934, because on July the 1st, August the 1st, July the 1st, I think it was July the 1st, 1934, uh, the Hayes office installed the Hayes censorship code on all movies that they were trying to do for years anyway. But on that date, that's when it became law. So it's basically the the four years, four or so years before that, um, when movies could be wacky and basically do whatever the hell they wanted. Ah, so it's like a filmmaker's freedom kind of thing. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's a a freer world of movies to open, you know, up to a more progressive kind of mindsets. And who can we blame for the end of this era, just so I know who to direct my anger at? Hayes. I think his name's. I think his name was William Hayes. William Hayes installed the Hayes Code, 1934. He, he sounds like the kind of guy who should be surgically attached to a locker. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I Fucking look, dweeb. Look, basically, <laughs> it was a whole morality thing, and that's why everybody always thinks old movies are very stuffy and boring and kind of, you know what I mean, all that, all, all those kind of nonsense things. When in reality, you look at movies from the pre-cold era from 1930 to 1934, and they are insanely progressive a lot of the time, incredibly creative, and full of sex, violence, drugs, all sorts. So my the... biography, specifically. Oh, well, yes, exactly. Um, but today, we are talking one such rather unique, pre-code movie that is queen christina from 1933 directed by ruben mamoulian who is have got to be one of my favorite named directors of all time also directed 1931's dr jekyll and mr hyde or as we know it to be called on it's a wonderful podcast dr jekyll and mr hyde I should clarify, for all the pop music fans that might be listening to this and being confused, we are not talking about Christina Aguilera. Unfortunately other, not, no. The other Queen Christina. I'll, do you know what? I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that one. We are, in fact, talking um, Queen Christina, the real-life Queen of Sweden in the 1600s. That makes so played, much more sense. As played in this movie... <laughs> By the great Greta Garbo. Yes, Greta uh, a, Garbo, a, finally. A Swedish actress? A Swedish actress, no one. A Swedish actress, yes. Actually, now that I think about it, Greta Thunberg's Swedish, isn't she? She is, but I don't think everybody called Greta is Swedish. I think that would be generally stereotyping, and we but, should refrain it, from doing that. But it is like a Eurocentric name, isn't it? It is. It's a. I would say it's a Scandinavian-centric name, which is right. which is Sweden. Which you know, fair enough. Well done. Love it. But... I love everything out of Sweden except fermented herrings. So this will be fun. Fermented. Oh 
God. Swedish delicacies. Do you not like Swedish delicacies, no? I tasted fermented herring once, and it's literally like having fizzy anchovies on your tongue. It's disgusting. Oh, God. It does not sound pleasant. Fair enough. That does not sound pleasant in the slightest at all. I find this movie to be very, very pleasant, Nolan. I don't know about you. Now, okay, we've established maybe you're not quite the sort of pre-code lover that I have become. I had no idea what it was until you asked me to watch this movie, so I am a pre-code virgin. Well, what did you make of this, then? Well... I'll start by saying that before I started the show, I was a Vincent Price version as well, and you made me love him. So let's see what you can do with pre-code movies. Right. What what I thought of this, it was a very sort of breezy, simple movie that had a lot of choices in it that I was surprised came out from a movie this time. To have a, a female lead character be as confident as this in a time period like that, that that was the one thing that I majorly took away from it because there are legit scenes here where it's the kind of performance and writing that I would expect from like a progressive feminist movie from nowadays. This is a staple of pre-code. The fiercely independent, strong, confident uh, woman at the center of the movie is a staple of the pre-code era. Um, that I've I liked. Wa- absolutely. I've watched quite a few of them now because I am, of course, doing pre-code march myself. It's my own little mission of watching every of watching a new pre-code movie for every single day in March. That's that's the idea. In the month um, when everyone's about the Snyder Cut and Godzilla versus Kong, this is what Morgan does with his time. It is. It is. Forever the contrarian. Isn't that just the most me thing ever? You are the most contrarian person I've ever met. I know. I know. It's a it's a blessing and a curse, Nolan. It's a blessing and a curse. It makes me like things that other people don't like. But it also makes me not want to even talk or look at things that everybody (laughs) else is talking and looking at. And I commend you for that. You do what you love, you own it, you love it, and this show is proof of it. I think it is. I think it is, look. Um, I was such a big fan of this movie. Such a big fan of this movie. It's one of my favourite that I've watched in my pre-code march so far. Um, I just think... I don't know whether it was Greta Garbo herself, but she seems to entirely elevate this movie for me like that idea of a character isn't absolutely alien to me isn't even absolutely alien to me in the sense of of pre-code movies because like i said the the strong confident woman at the center of the movie is a staple of them but there seems to be something even more with Greta Garbo in 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 Queen Christina, maybe it's because she's playing an actual member of royalty. I don't know. Maybe it's because this movie feels quite grand to me. Like the sets are pretty big, and everything's high walled and in castles, and it's all snowy all the time. I definitely got some flashbacks to like some of those Errol Flynn action sequences, particularly yeah. near the end. It's got that kind of style with the production. Yeah, um, it is. It, it does feel like that. Actually, you're thinking of you'll be thinking of the the Robin Hood, Errol Flynn, and Basil Rathbone. Yeah, doing the sword fighting. In the, in the, that was yes. my favorite part of the movie, if I'm honest. Okay, okay. I, you know, I love me some good old swashbuckling. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, we do. Uh, what about the romance, though? Because you can't have look. You can't have a good, um, a good pre-code movie without a little bit of. Uh, I'm still romance. trying to wrap the romance in the movie around my head a little bit. Is I it because it was the most bisexual movie you've ever seen as well. Yes. Are yes. you thankful about that? Because I am. 
Uh, very much so. I mean, I I love that. I love that this movie probably unironically inspired Milan as well. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, I just I instantly thought of like any movie where it's uh, a woman taking the position of a man to try and do something. They always have very queer undertones to them. And, you know, me who has my experience with gender being non-binary and everything, that's something I really related to. But you're going to have to walk me through this a little bit. So the whole deal is that her country and all these stuffy advisors, I'm going to refer to them as the House of Parliament for the rest of the episode. Fair enough. They basically want her to marry this one dude. She doesn't want to marry this other dude, so she ends up doing this whole thing to kind of avoid it. She, they all want her to marry. I believe it. I believe he's her cousin. But you know how old <laughs> bloodline. You know how old bloodlines work, Nolan. This wasn't out of the question in the 1600s in Europe. Is this movie uh, set in Bristol? What the, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I apologize there to anybody listening from the lovely city of Bristol. I don't know what no one's talking about. Or Doncaster. Uh, I don't know. Or even Glasgow. We'll go with Glasgow because you're from Glasgow, so we can we can we can deal with that one. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, I think I think that's who they want her to marry because he's Swedish, she's Swedish, you know, you keep everything Swedish, that's how it all went. Um but no, no, Queen Christina has no no interest in doing that at all. Queen Christina is far more interested in being with the dude from Spain. Or alternatively, her lady-in-waiting, I presume she is. I don't think she's got quite a title, her good old Ebba. But there's, a, there's a romantic relationship there. With Antonio, I believe the guy's name is, right? Antonio, yes, played by John Gilbert, who actually was married to Greta Garbo for a few years in the late 20s. That's another thing where I can see inspiration from a movie that came out later. That reminds me very much of, like, Princess Bride. How so? It's sort of a mix of the whole Spanish character who kind of steals the show and the swashbuckling angle and the sort of looking for love in the way you want it, not the way others are forcing it on you kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's exactly kind of what the movie's about, really. It's being the question of loving for yourself or kind of marrying the right fit to please everybody else. All right, so after... Because we're doing this thing on Streamlabs, Morgan's got a whole new thing going on. After 13 minutes of me being in the position of, I don't really get this movie, I don't really like it, when Morgan explains it for his love of it, now I'm seeing everything more clearly, and I like it a lot more. And also, this is probably the worst shirt I could have picked to be on this thing, because it looks like I'm going to blend into the background. Well, fortunately, there there will not be any video for the for this particular episode of It's a Wonderful But, but no, the way, the way you talk about that makes me like this movie a lot more, and I can definitely see why after the pre-code era, something like this wouldn't get made, and it would take ages for a character like that to take center stage again. Yeah. So it, it kind of shows that Hollywood, for the most part, for me, was progressive at a time, but it was just absolutely. all about who, who was in power. Absolutely. And, it's really the studio execs. You can't really shift all the blame on directors and writers for this. I think they want to be progressive, but there's so many hurdles in getting a movie made. Yeah, it's the it's the censorship. It's the censorship called it. It's the Hayes office, um, and and the people at the um, the MPAA. As and it we still and we still have that now with how ridiculous the rating system in America is. Well, we do. I mean, look, I, I I don't pay too much attention to ratings unless it's kind of when you change when you change a mainstream movie and by mainstream movie these days, you know, I'm talking your huge superhero movie when 
you change something that probably should be, as Americans would have it a rated R or 15 in the UK, to make it a PG-13 or a 12 in the UK, you know that it's going to kind of, it's going to beat around the bush on a lot of things that it would be more beneficial to be straight to the point about. And whether that is, uh, you know, violence or certain philosophies or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, if if I can go on a rant about this, I think if America adopted a rating system that was more like the UK's, they would have way more artistic freedom because there's such a big jump between PG-13 and R-rated, but you can have a bit more of a harder thing between 12 and 15. Well, I mean, it, it's, I, it's I don't know strange what this cause... movie would have been if it had come out in that system. No, I mean, at, the, at this point, it's just... You know, in the early '30s, movies just kind of passed and 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 failed. It was like a test, like that, where okay, we can have this movie be screened. This is fine. It was like that. Yeah, um, I think that's a problem with analyzing any kind of art. To be honest, I mean, even stuff like Bechdel tests doesn't really work a lot in modern movies nowadays. As much as like it has good intentions, it doesn't. It doesn't give account for a lot of the nuance of these experiences, and I feel a similar thing is going on here. Yeah, it's rating ratings is a is a funny thing. Censorships in movies is kind of a funny thing, really, um, because look, it can go very, very badly, or, or on the surface badly, like it, like. Some would say it did in, in mid-1934 and cause movies to be, you know, have to be much more strict on, on what they included. Um, it's where you get all the stereotypes of old movies, like the criminal always has to be reprimanded by the law and, you know, the good guy can absolutely only ever be 100% morally righteous there can be no gray area pre-code is filled with gray people moral ambiguity affairs and weird interrelationships hell of a lot of violence and do you know what nolan all of it just it, it seems to create more of a creative atmosphere to me the pre-code era you could say that it takes skilled directors to still make the movies they made in the era of heavy censorship because they were still able to show some forms of progression or progressivity if that's a word um and kind of an, and a creative filmmaking style as well as messages and all that kind of stuff that weren't maybe so straightforward. They had some ambiguity in them. Um, so it t- certainly takes talent to do that. But when the atmosphere itself is much more free to allow you to make anything you want to be and i say anything you want to be you know it still had to pass censorship tests it just wasn't absolute law at this point um you still had to cut certain things out much like movies do now you know if they want to get a not receive you know like a hard 18 or an nc17 whatever it may be rating it's kind of my it's kind of my philosophy on storytelling as well. So I I fall somewhere kind of in the middle of this. Uh, I agree that you shouldn't be writing to specific specifications just from the point of view of a storyteller. I feel like if I'm doing that, it kind of limits that. But also, when you are writing with completely free reign and no one's kind of checking you in, that feels to me almost like writing a first draft and then publishing it. Like, there's still work yeah. to do. And I th- I think the sort of list thing and the censorships and everything, that should all be within the director's own head. They should n- know instinctively what works 
what doesn't, what could be trimmed, what could be executed a little bit differently. And my golden rule for this is that great stories, they will tell you how to write them. They will tell you how to film them. If you are really in tune with how storytelling works, great stories do end up telling you how they want to be told. Like this movie, I don't think would work as much if it was made to be, say, an action film. No, it doesn't. It, it it's a romance that has those little action beats in it, just to make it a little bit more exciting. But at its core, it's working by the rules more of a love political story than it yeah. is with than a swashbuckler like Errol Flynn. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, is. And look, I think the movie benefits as well from being fairly subtle and i say subtle maybe i just mean not downplaying i suppose but not being too overt with its romance i mean we look at it now and i suppose you can look at it from the perspective of 1933 and say that it is pretty overt to have ebba come flying into the scene and passionately kissing Greta Garbo fully on the mouth, and it all being, every, nobody batting an eyelid, it all being perfectly fine in 1933. You know? Yeah. We we think of that now, and we obviously nobody would bat an eyelid, um, unless you're a moron. There are morons out there, we know that. Um, but I, I love that it can do that. I love that this movie can do that. But to go any further than that, to sh- or to show us anything further than that, would feel utterly unnecessary. There's a line of kind of there's a line of gratuity, let's call it Nolan, um, where we just become a little bit too excessive over here, and then there's the line, and then we keep it to reasonable kind of. Uh, smartness, cleverness, you know, where we're just, we're telling the audience what they need to know without resorting to nonsense. And we do that in that, in you know, in, in the scenes with uh, Christina and, and Ebba, because Ebba ends up kind of being a little bit, they end up having an argument, don't they? Um, and, and Christina's quite, distraught really in that particular scene when i think ebba tell or tells somebody else and she overhears uh, that she thinks christina's being kind of dominating to her um it's very upsetting at that point really it's kind of what instigates christina's um wanting to go after antonio instead john gilbert from from spain um but the fact she's able to have visible romantic relationships with whoever she damn well pleases is the highlight of, of this whole movie for me. Um, my favourite line in the entire movie as well, because she is, could absolutely not care any less about actually getting married. Which, again, you, 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 know, you, you think of it, and you think of the general public's viewpoint of old movies is everything's very prim and proper and everybody gets married and it's all as it should be. Everything's set. Queen Christina doesn't want any of that. She wants to live free. Nolan, my favourite line from this movie. Somebody says to Queen Christina, Your Majesty, you can't die an old maid. And she responds with, I have no intention to. I intend to die a bachelor. That is my pretty favorite badass. Line. It's my favourite line in the whole movie. She uh, is... That's uh, what I mean. And it goes back to what you were saying before about the, about the queer coding. I kind of love that because to me it says... This is not saying that you should look as a fictional character and do what they do for like being a role model or anything to the T. I think what it's trying to say is Christina is so confident in herself, she wants to make her own choice. She's yeah. not saying that, oh, you have to be a bachelor as well to be happy. 
or you could some people can get married you know and they'll be happy with doing that and i think there's room for both of those so you have to admit but you shouldn't be doing it to prove a point yeah you should be doing it because it's what you want to do so for a movie like this to have that message in it is something i really appreciate do you like those scenes of her when she goes out riding on the horse though she's dressed in she's dressed in disguise as a boy no one yes a trope that we all came to i mean that's been used quite a lot in like a lot of modern movies now that i think about it not just like the obvious ones yeah it has it It, has and it is kind of uh i've always seen that kind of a trans coding kind of thing it's just uh, it to me shows that gender is not like a 100 percent this or this thing and this is just my experience with it. it it's more of a fluid thing you know i think feminine people can have masculine traits masculine people can have feminine traits and they shouldn't feel contrived to be one thing because that's what society has told them to do queen christina is one of the most gender fluid movies i've seen in such a goddamn long time i think that's exactly what this movie is or at least that is exactly what i get from it as well on the surface, it might be a simple romance drama that, okay, you can call about as much as a fa- of a factual historical biopic as you can, you know, The Lion in Winter. It's just kind of over-dramatized of these real-life people. Sure. Because pretty much absolutely nothing that happens in this movie, I, I believe, actually happened to the real Queen Christina, um, you know, fact for fact. Um, but that's exactly how I think this movie wanted, well, not wanted, but presented itself as a very, very gender-fluid thing. And certainly in certain scenes, it's very clear, like the fact that for some would say too long when she first meets Antonio from Spain. Um, he's just absolutely convinced that she's just a traveling young man who he wants to have friendly drinks with in a bar and talk about man- manly things like sword fighting and ruling the kingdom and things like that. He One thing no I idea. did like from that, there was this little detail in a scene later with Antonio. It's like the man always sleeping on the left side of the bed because he's got to keep his sword arm ready. Yeah. Uh, something about that, I think it, it's one of those small, subtle character moments that tells you a lot about the kind of person that he is and probably the environment he was raised in. Yeah. And yeah, you everybody feel, carried a sword. You feel kind of like Christina, even though he believes it's a, it's a man at the point kind of brings out a bit more of his emotional feminine side well i suppose do you mean like in a like opening up and stuff yeah there is that very kind of distinctly i think right from the moment or right from the moment at least they're in the bar together kind of drinking all the in i call it a bar it's an inn um but they're the drinking and there's that quite hilarious scene where those two incredibly drunk individuals decide to come up to uh, Queen Christina and Antonio and they're having a bet they've they've got a bet on having a wager on how many people the queen has slept with that year and one of them i think thinks it's 6 and one of them thinks it's 5 And after a while of shouting and throwing things at each other, Christina stands up right on the table and declares that the Queen has had no fewer than a dozen lovers this past year. And nobody at this point, nobody still knows that she is actually the Queen. She's just a, a random person at this point. But I loved that scene. There's comedy in this movie as well, when there wants to be. Which I appreciated, and but it I do adds think to the right. drama instead of distracting from it. Yeah, I do think you're right to say um, that 
Antonio opens up a lot more, though, when they're in that, almost immediately when they are in conversation um, at that inn, right up until the point, of course, that he discovers she is a woman, Nolan, in the bedroom, when Queen Christina's very reluctant at first to undress, and he's all like, come on, then, we're going to bed. We've, we've got bed, we, it's, it's sleep time. Which could be another thing of the gender experience. I mean, it's not presented that way in the movie, but that also kind of links to dysphoria in a way. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I just, I, I, I think... I think, like... Uh, and uh, I'm going to make a sweeping statement here. If make, make schools... If schools want to be more open about teaching about queerness and everything and like just bring it up naturally in conversation i think showing this even in like a primary school history class or even a secondary school history class would be a good way to start that discussion because whilst this isn't seen as a queer film it definitely has a lot of those subtle areas that you can see how queerness is so carefully put into these things rather than like the prim and proper stuff that they usually get I think it could be though. I think it could be seen as a as a queer movie. I think it arguably should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'll be I'll be happy to share this around once uh, we're done recording and this episode goes up. My friends will fucking love this, especially my classic movie loving friends. Well, I'm glad that you're you're becoming more enamored with this movie. As we go on with this episode, I was afraid I would have nothing to say, and as we're talking about it, I'm just liking it more and more and more. What do you make of the kind of latter stages of the movie then? Because it kind of all we've gotten we've gotten to the point now where Christina's kind of she's kind of somewhat had a nice time with Antonio at this inn. They've had a lovely, memorable night. Oh, by the way, that the scene the morning after when Antonio's guy comes in and he doesn't realise that... Nobody else realises that Queen Christina is Queen Christina at this point. So Antonio's other guy comes in and um, I think asks them if they want any breakfast or something like that. And he's like, sir, do you want any breakfast? It's like, no, but then there's like a weird bit of uh, romantic laughter, let's say, from behind the bed curtains. And the other guy's face is just like, does the the other gentleman want any breakfast? (laughs) As though to say, what's been happening in here? I found that funny. I don't know. I don't I don't think I should have found that funny. I don't know. And I feel like if this was made in an era where after pre-code had happened, that scene would have been cut. No, most of the movie would have been... The movie wouldn't have gotten made. The mm-hmm. movie's far too obvious in its in what it's trying to say and how it's presenting itself. What I make of the ending is... it. I mean, if we're looking at this through a queer lens, it would kind of fall into the trap of queer stories ending somewhat tragically. Yeah. Which is a fine line to walk. Now, a lot of people have differing views on this, especially within the queer community. You've probably heard of the bury your gays trope, right? Yes. Yeah, and I'll sum it up for people in the audience. It's like, oh, if you have a story that's written promotely by like openly straight people and they have gay characters, they usually kill them off for a big emotional reaction. Yeah. It's known as bury your gays. And because of that, it's gotten a lot of people really riled up whenever there's gay characters introduced and killed off. But also on the same accord, that to me kind of suggests that queer people cannot have the same kind of epic and complex, interesting, tragic stories as like straight people can. And this, I feel, is a good example of it because it doesn't like sort of wallow in the tragedy. It, it's kind of a natural progression of the arc. I think if it went any other way, this movie wouldn't work. No, because what it does do is keeps Christina true to herself throughout the whole movie. At this point, there is much more pressure on her to... Because there's this whole war going on. That's the point, isn't it? Sweden 
is kind of in this endless war um, for no real reason. Um, Christina just kind of wants to get out of it, but most of her parliament, as you called them, um, have, uh, just kind of love war and love an, another victory for Sweden, and they just keep crying nonsense like that. Um, so there's much more kind of pressure on Christina to kind of solidify the position of the throne and uh, and marry and, you know, have an heir and all that business. As the royal, as royalty in the 1600s was absolutely, you know, kind of critical in doing, that's was I mean, the, the first thing now to think. Like that. It is, to a weird point, it is. Um, royalty now do we really have to talk about royalty at the current present Nolan no we don't but ah. it does speak to something that I feel a lot about royalty is that usually when you think of like countries going to war and stuff and going for fights you have in your image this maybe big hulking general person who just likes fighting and wants to get into that he's in this and movie I've seen him <laughs> Yeah, yeah he has a mustache. And here, the people who are making decisions that ultimately lead to the fighting are the sort of meek older guys that are advising her and stepping away from the violence that they create. Yeah, pretty much. And I thought that said a lot about how wars are created. They're not necessarily big, epic fights. There are a few cowards making decisions for everyone when really they're only trying to benefit themselves. Pretty much. Pretty much. If you want my view on war, that's pretty much where I think it starts. And low-key, the royal family kind of still does it. <laughs> We're not talking about current royal matters as nonsense as they are, Nolan. We're not talking it, about them. For, for the record, Team Megan all the way. For the record, every sane person is... I mean, is there... Is, does it have to be teams? Do we have to have teams? Can we not just say the people who are being vilely attacked for no real reason? Uh, I guess, but teams get we're on the side on of the... media. Okay, hashtag <laughs> Team Harry and Megs. Then, okay, sure. I mean, obviously as well, but that's all I'm talking about that because it doesn't make any sense to even give it any more airtime. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> anyway. Well, you, you get that kind of thing in this movie too. Like all the bad decisions you happen do. because of people who don't want to fight for them. You do. It, it's like coward step. It's like, it's like that kid at school who instigates a fight and then quietly steps away whilst it goes out and is just watching it like a kid playing action figures. Christina is forced to make a decision that she doesn't want to make. Mm -hmm. And it's the decision of carry on as queen, knowing that she would, wouldn't be being true to herself, but she would be queen. Or be true to herself and, uh, what do they call it, Abdu abdue, I've, I've forgotten the word, <laughs> abdicate. I was going to say abjugate, but that's not a word. Abdicate the throne. She abdicates the throne, Nolan. She goes, no, I've had enough. I abdicate the throne. I resign as queen. And Which everybody's really shocked like. and everybody goes, oh. <gasps> Oh no, Christina, we can't do that. Apparently also Queen Christina towards the end of her actual reign wasn't a very liked person anymore because she was a bit like making all these decisions that everybody didn't like. But you can see that if the character, you know, is anything like Greta Garbo's Queen Christina, you can see why to a point she would have kind of ruffled a few feathers. Yeah, the, and it the, kind of shows a nice distinction between the beginning and uh, I, I can't believe I didn't say this, but the child actor playing young Queen Christina, amazing. Right. What a great child actor performance. Like, like six you can years see, old? You can see the kind of naivety there, like, oh, I'm proud of my country, I'm proud of my father, I'm proud of this. 
then to the end where it's like, hmm, I'm kind of questioning the decisions you guys make here and you're not going to fucking control me. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm Queen Christina. I'm the head of my own mind. Yeah, she she uses her power to kind of break free of it, to be exactly. honest. That's, that's kind of cool. Which it, it is. But it's, it's got to be a terrifically difficult decision. But also one that I think we should commend Queen Christina for because not not a single point during this movie does she forget who she is. She doesn't even question it. She is always true to herself. Always true to herself. Doesn't give in to what all the stuffy men want her to do. Yeah, the she stuffy just does men what she probably... wants to do. That's something that I kind of get annoyed by as well. Like the people who make these decisions probably aren't going to live long enough to see the effects of them. Well, that's been the case for God knows how long, no. And that's I, th I just think that's life at this point, isn't it? Yeah. Unfortunately, I really do. Sadness, sad, but not sadness for Queen Christina. Well, it's kind of sadness for Queen Christina. Bittersweet. I'll call it bittersweet. Bittersweet, okay. Because just like scary. just like Aztec hot chocolate, bittersweet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't. I mean, how sad would you call it? She's no longer queen. She's gone. No, I'm not having any of that. But she still knows who she is. Is that not a positive? She's it is, but she does lose Antonio. She does and lose that, Antonio, that, sure, but did she, sucks. but she didn't want to marry Antonio, did she? She didn't want to marry anybody. She just wanted Antonio as a little bit of fun. She'll be able to go and have a little bit of fun somewhere else on that nice ship she got on. The lovely True. ship. But still, they, f they had a kind of connection there, and it's sad they to did. see him go. It I would is... have liked to see them run off into the sunset, not as a couple, but just together, like having each other's back kind of thing. But I guess mm, that kind of point. illustrates the point of the movie forward. Like, this is not going to be an easy situation for anybody, but she still doesn't let it change who she is. Exactly. She learns, she grows, but she doesn't change her core, which is good. Exactly. Different um, positions in life, even relationships. Do not have to be one's final position or relationship for one to become a stronger person because of them. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, how we end this movie. It's a lovely shot, by the way, the final shot. I love the final shot. There's a whole there's a whole big thing on on how it was uh how it was done and how it was kind of uh, you know how, how that shot that final big zoom in shot was uh was actually created because it is quite fascinating because of the size of lens that they were using if they'd have gone that close up on Greta Garbo's face the her face pores would have just been horrendous to look at you know because it would have just been too clear and everything would have been all dinty and horrible so they had to put like a I think it's like some sort of like glass thing gradually in front of the lens to soften it all up as they move that whole big thing forward from the 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 water to the windswept uh, bow of the ship, and it's left. You're left on that lovely kind of uh, thought-provoking shot of. Greta Garb or Queen Christina looking out onto her next adventure from the ship over the water, yeah. wherever she's going. And she, then wherever course, she's going, she's gonna have fun. And then of course, because it was in the pre-code era, we got Queen Christina 2, Queen Christina 3, Queen Christina Infinity War, Queen Christina Endgame. You know full no. well that in the 30s, Nolan movie sequels were not called Queen Christina 2. They were called The Next Queen Christina and The Revenge of Queen Christina's Abbott Sword and Costello Hand. Meet Queen Christina. Exactly. That's what we want. 
That's what we want. I want Queen Christina to make fools out of Abbott and Costello. That's what I want to happen. Yes. I think we should well, have that. Well, this has been a lovely discussion. You've taken a movie that I didn't know what to think of, and now you've made me love it more just through 44 minutes and 45 seconds of talking. Are you just obsessed at the fact that the time is now very clear to you to be able to see when we do these? Yes. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, I did want to actually mention the fact that I love the music in this movie as well. Oh, it's great music. Great score. Um, It's kind of... At some points, like incidental swelling up of music, which is always nice. Look, it's a little bit manipulative, the score, but what good score isn't a little bit manipulative? We have to have it on there. So I do want to give a little bit of credit to the uh, lovely um, mu- mu- musician Herbert Stothart, Stothart, however you pronounce that name. Who did the score? There you go. Rock on, Mr. Stothart. Or Stothart. I don't know. Um, it was actually written by a woman as well. Good. Just, just saying just saying that. Salka Viertel uh, wrote the screenplay. Um, probably absolutely butchered that name. But anyway, just a, a few nice little shout-outs to the good people involved with this delightful, delightful movie. You said at the start you felt it was a breezy movie. That kind of was because I was going through the idea of, like, I didn't quite get it, but breezy could be seen as positive. It feels like a movie I could just put on on, like, a Saturday afternoon and have a decent time with. I literally watched this while having a cup of tea and a ham sandwich in classic British fashion. It's that kind of movie. I I think it is. And again, I think what we have to kind of remember is kind of key about pre-code movies is that they are very, very, very simple movies. Very simple movies that just have incredibly interesting things to say or styles or kind of um, attitudes about them. There's There's no over-the-top weird narratives going on. Mm-hmm. They're all really, really easy movies to watch, which is why everybody should watch them, which is why I'm doing the whole pre-code march thing to let everybody know, oh, you know, and maybe somebody might just see that I've watched this movie or that movie or whatever movie, and they go, oh, that sounds cool. I might check that movie out. And that's what I'm trying to do. Discovery. Discovery of great movies. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Queen Christina is, is, is one of my absolute favorites I've watched so far. Well, can I ask you one favor? Yes. When you discover new movies, can you make sure they're available to stream so we don't have a fiasco like what we did before we picked Yes, this? okay. It was a little bit of a fiasco. I can I can make sure. Yes, okay. I apologize. I got excited. I know you got excited, but... I cannot hear what movie we're doing within a day and then have to order a DVD through express delivery. No. Especially no. in these COVID times when no. I'm still waiting two weeks after to get my loose bottom <laughs> cake tin. Oh, for God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we just acknowledge that you are far angrier about your baking requirements than anything else we've even <laughs> talked about today? I love that. Brilliant. Well, hey, class, classic Nolan Dean. Got to end on a joke. Classic, classic Nolan. That's what we call that. Classic Nolan. Love it. Um, but yeah, look, watch the movies. And hell, I'm happy we ended up talking about Queen Christina this week, Nolan. Yeah, very good one for me to get into for my first pre-code movie. I think. It, well, I mean, look, it's not your first pre-code movie, Nolan. Ooh, is there another one that I've seen that it's we've not, done? It's not your first pre-code movie because you have seen movies from the early thirties before. Are they all pre-code? They're all pre-code. That's it's just the time period. It just, it's not a style. It's the time period. So, The Wizard of Oz—that's a pre-code film. Well, The Wizard of Oz is nineteen thirty-nine. 
Oh, right. Okay. Any movie from uh, 1930 to 1934 that you have seen is a pre-code movie. Frankenstein. Is Frankenstein pre-code? Dr- 1931. Dracula. 1931. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, pre-code movies. Any okay. movie you have seen. Any movie. Pre- okay. okay. Any American movie you have seen from those particular four years um, is a pre-code movie. Okay. There. I learned something new. You probably you said that to me when we were recording it, and it's just kind of probably through the mass of COVID and everything that's happened this year, I just forgot. Are you blaming COVID for memory loss now? <laughs> is, this, is this what it's come to? At this point, I'm blaming COVID for everything. Well, that's a fair that's a fair point. I also blame COVID for everything. Lovely stuff, though. Lovely stuff, Nolan. Episode 152 of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. We have been talking... Queen Christina from 1933, starring Greta Garbo, and John Gilbert, directed by, what was his name, Nolan? I said it before, it's a funny name. I can't remember how to pronounce the funny name, and I'm afraid of looking like a fool. Ruben Mamoulian. I love his name. I love his name. He shares something in common with my favourite deli sandwich. Right. Um, what's that then? Do you not know what a Reuben sandwich is? I don't know what a Reuben sandwich is. No, see, I, you bring okay. out all these you, cookery terms. If you are going to teach me about pre-code movies, I'm going to teach you about culinary stuff, and I'm going we to don't get you have a culinary show. Are you suggesting we should have a culinary show? <laughs> I mean, if you spent more than 10 minutes with me in the kitchen, you would want to throw pans. I, 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 just, I, end, up, I end up doing Gordon Ramsay impressions. Gordon Ramsay impressions? Yes. That doesn't sound like a wholesome oh, wait, kitchen we, environment, no. We, we have cooked before. I was fine. Well, you, you weren't doing Gordon Ramsay impressions. And well, your mum was there and I was respecting her. If you are starting, to, <laughs> if you are starting uh, to do Gordon Ramsay impressions in the kitchen, that that does not create a pleasant environment for anyone. So we're not having that. <laughs> okay. What about what about Marco Pierre White? I've got the hair for it now. You have. I could understand that. I could understand Marco Pierre White. Okay, we'll we'll do that. The Nord we'll chicken stock pot is the key for everything. Called the 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 c- cooking with Nolan, we'll call it. <laughs> cooking with Nolan, coming soon to wherever, if that even is a thing, anyway. And you can put on a nice pre-code movie in the background. You can, you can, because they're the best things to watch. They are, they they're truly the best things to watch. So much joy has been gained this month from me watching pre-code movies. I cannot tell you how much. So just watch them. Just watch them, guys. You know you want to. You know you're into it. I'm into it. Nolan's into it now, even though he thought yeah. he wasn't. Janine's into it as well, from what we uh, we talked about Scarface last week, 1932. And we did a nice comparison with the Pacino movie as well. Um. Next week, me and Janine are back with, I think we've got uh, Norma Shearer in The Divorcee next week from 1930. Why does that that sound like a natural disaster? Are you suggesting The Divorcee? Divorce is a natural disaster, Nolan? Is that what you're suggesting? It sounds like a hurricane of divorce papers. Well. The Divorcee. I, that's how you pronounce it. I am led to believe that The Divorcee with Norma Shearer is a movie rife with um, infidelity and affairs and sexual um, confidence. So, So I'll expect some inevitable comparisons to Marriage Story then. 
possibly, but probably not as heavily emotional. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Nolan, we know we we know we like to talk about some fun stuff, weekly stuff, don't we? At the end of our uh, episodes, it's uh, it seems to have been a fairly huge week in the world of movies. All I'm gonna say is rehire Ray Fisher right now, Warner Brothers. You fucking idiots. I'll, I'll, okay, yes, yes, <laughs> uh, I will agree. Okay, I will agree. I haven't seen the movie at this point because it hasn't come out to the public, and I am the public still at the uh, moment with certain things. I mean, I maybe, public. maybe this is the optimist in me, but after everything that's happened going on with Ray Fisher. I would love the story of this movie coming out, everyone seeing what a great actor he is, and then that's what gets him rehired into Warner Brothers and them to restructure their power shit. That would just be a I, cool little wrap on the bow thing. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would like that. I just don't think that man wants to go anywhere near that studio, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him either, but if they make changes, I'm sure he would come back and do it. Possibly, but who are we? Who are we to say that? Who um, knows? But yeah, we look. We've got uh, that to to watch now, I suppose. Well, have we watched it by the time this comes out? I Possibly. mean, it's four. It's four hours long, it so we're probably right in the middle of watching it. It is four hours long, but you can split it up, can't you? It's it's been conveniently yes. split up for people. Yes, so. but um, I mean, I'm I'm just all in at this point. I, I've gotten better at rewatching Lord of the Rings, so I think I'm ready for this. Okay, lovely stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, I am excited. I, I am excited to watch that, especially you know with what's all the conversation that's been has been out this week. To be honest, and virtually universal, pretty positive things to say, which is uh, it's unusual for a movie of this kind, isn't it? But that was nice. That was nice to see. Um, but I, so I, yeah, we, we've got that. We we did have like the Oscars nominations as well. I mean, what are those though this year? The movies that interest me are Sound of Metal, Minari, and Nomadland. I, I saw Mank last year. It was okay. It's probably David Fincher's weakest movie. I say what are those, as in what are new movies, not what are those specific movies that were nominated for, for good Oscars. Applause to those movies. I mean, Riz because... Ahmed got an Oscar nomination for Sound of Metal, where, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but he plays a, a deaf guy in, uh, like, a metal... He's like a drummer, and he loses his hearing. Mm. And it looks like he gives a very powerful performance. So I, I'm excited to see that. I I am quite... I was quite pleased to see... All the all the people that did get nominated, actually, um, I've got very little knowledge about the the movies themselves. You know, the best oh, picture and, nominees uh... and that kind of stuff. But the individuals that were nominated for like the director and the the acting categories, lovely. I was uh, yeah. lovely to see. Oh, I did see Judas and the Black Messiah uh, a while ago. That's really good. I think I think I am going to try and watch a lot of that is daniel kalua's best performance i have ever seen and that coming from a horror fan who loves get out that will tell you how good the movie is i'm gonna try and watch a lot of them to be fair i will do i will do this weird year for movies justice by watching the the, only uh, snub i feel nominees and this might be my hot take, but the only thing I feel got snubbed was I think The Invisible Man was good enough to get a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination. I don't know if it would have won, but I would have liked to have seen it nominated. Nolan, I was under the impression that The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss came out three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) How the hell is that only a year old? Uh, It's mental dude i feel like i've aged five years since this whole thing started. i have i actually look at have. look at this i'm going through my mid-teen crisis <laughs> i'm wearing tie-dye shirts i'm wearing fucking pink socks and shit <laughs> i'm wearing denim jackets my hair is so long this year is just, i think if anything if any po- positive can come out of lockdown it's convinced a lot of people to be like fuck it i'm just going to embrace who i am cuz life is short 
Well, that's that's probably true. That's probably true. I, I'll give it that. I'll give it that. Um, but seriously, that's crazy to me that that movie's actually only a year old. It seems so long ago since I went and saw that in the cinema. So long ago. Well, cinemas will be opening, uh, I think, in May for you guys, right? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? And then we'll be ready for the movie that's going to save the year, Venom Let There Be Carnage. Oh, God. <laughs> Enough. Enough. <laughs> Enough. Away. Dumb. Love it. Anyway. Fun stuff. Fun stuff, Nolan. But yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll watch the the best picture nominees. I think it's only correct to, especially this year when I truly haven't seen any of them because I forgot new movies existed. And they'll all be on VOD anyway, so they'll they have to. Yeah, they'll all be on some form of streaming, won't they? Mm. Anyway, there we go. Yeah, so there we go, guys. Episode 152, like I said, of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, talking Queen Christina But this show the main show it's a wonderful podcast is not the only show you can find on the it's a wonderful podcast feed we have machine mondays every monday with janine the machine talking all her schmo down things we have morgan hasn't seen every wednesday with me and janine now i haven't seen things janine forces me to watch things we're in the karate kid series at the moment so i've been watching the karate kid movies i love and... i listen to that i loved it, literally everything you loved about it is everything i love about it too i actually really liked the sequel as well karate kid part two that was this week's it's, episode it's pretty good i'll probably talk to you about that after we finish recording because there's a funny yeah. moment in that movie that i just love okay okay um yeah that was this week's episode um, so go and uh, check those out if you haven't already. But yes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered here on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. You can find the podcast feed on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Or just on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You can join our Patreon if you would like to and are feeling particularly generous patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one it's a wonderful podcast on patreon subscribe to the it's a wonderful podcast youtube channel you can find me on twitter at the purple dawn with a three instead of the e in the because three is of course the magic number or on instagram at just the purple dawn nolan you and all your lovely things where are they you can find my regular tweets at NolanDean27, and if you want to see my more important tweets, you can send $40 to my PayPal for NolanDean27+. Plus. <laughs> Nolan, is that a, uh, is that a slight? Is that, that a is slight? A, that is a slight to the Snyder I don't like. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. This is... The opinions, the opinions displayed within, do not necessarily f- reflect those of its wonderful podcast <laughs> and the other members of its wonderful podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say that. What else, Nolan? <laughs> you can find me at Nolan Dean on YouTube and Nolan Dean Writer on Instagram. I did do something recently that was pretty cool. Um, so, are you aware of the existence of the MTV Spider-Man show? that came out in the 2000s? No, I don't think so. It's kind of like a kind of dark and mature take on Spider-Man when he's in college. A couple of fans are making a season two, because like a lot of animated series in that era, it got cancelled after one season. And I have auditioned for it for several roles, but the one I'm hoping to get is Mysterio. And this is where I can thank you because one of my takes for the Mysterio voice was inspired by Vincent Price. Oh, well, that's now. Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to say it was an impression of me. I, I mean, I, I mean, I could do your voice as Mysterio. That might work. But I, I felt Vincent Price being work. as theatrical as he is, he would yeah. have been Mysterio in the 60s. Nolan, we all know he would have been Doctor Strange in the 60s. And if somebody else had got cast, he would have been Mysterio. 
fair point. A fair point. A fair point. Um, Jake okay. Gyllenhaal could have like been it. Doctor Strange. I think he would have pulled it off pretty well. That's also a fair point. Oh, I like that. I like that. Well done. Good luck. Let's Hopefully I get that role. It's a project I really want to be a part of. Definitely. Definitely. I will even do it for free. For free. Oh, well. <laughs> there you go. All the, uh, all the good stuff. All the good stuff comes for free. No, it doesn't. Some does. My only fans does. The best things in life are absolutely free, says sentimental people. <laughs> that wasn't even a joke. That was just a fact. I don't know what I'm saying. This is the point where I say goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. I will ask Nolan to do the, us the great honour and see us out. Things I love about Sweden, Morgan... Queen Christina, Swedish meatballs, and Ikea. But stay away from the fermented herrings. Ikea? Nobody likes Ikea. I love Ikea. Horrible place.